Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Robin Motter, the host of Diva Strategies for Success, where every week I bring you a dynamic guest. I'm also the NAFI Western and Mid-Atlantic Regional Coordinator. NAFI is the largest global network for women, and they are headquartered in New York. Today I have an incredible guest. Her name is Dr. Rom Weber. She is an international psychic medium, now in her 18th year of public work, following an original academic training as a sex therapist. In the metaphysical world, Dr. Ram is well-known for her spot-on evidential mediumship, cultivated by her attention to detail and her passion for connecting loved ones. Warm, compassionate, and down-to-earth, Dr. Ram's mediumship was recently acclaimed by the New Jersey Herald as having stunning clarity and accuracy. She's based in the New York metropolitan area, Dr. Ram has also appeared on television and radio. She's worked with clients from all over the U.S., the U.K., India, Canada, Russia, Brazil, the Netherlands, Denmark, Sweden, China, Japan, New Zealand, and the Philippines. She is trained in both American and British styles of mediumship. Her primary interests are in uniting loved ones in the here and hereafter, providing evidence for the continuity of the spirit and helping people develop their own spirituality and mediumistic potential. As a medium, her approach is warm, compassionate, and down-to-earth. She also has a special place in her heart and practice for parents who have survived the loss of a child. Dr. Ram also works as a psychic and intuitive, using her analytical and intuitive abilities to help clients gain principal insights and solutions into many of their everyday concerns. This said, Dr. Ram's clientele includes a wide range of people, from those who are simply curious about these topics to those seeking readings, spiritual connections, and personal growth. They have included media personalities, international heads of finance, homemakers, doctors, artists, musicians, lawyers, engineers, mechanic teachers, designers, and a whole lot of regular Joes. So I want to welcome you, Dr. Weber. It is so wonderful to have you on my show today. It is a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me aboard today. Um, I have, uh, what is a sexologist? Is, is that a sex therapist? A sex well, surrogate? a sex therapist is a, one version of a sexologist. The sexology field is an interdisciplinary study of human sexuality, everything from anthropology of human sexuality to history and cultural of sex practices across the world and throughout time, um, everything from uh, the things like our sexual response cycle, our attitudes and values and education around sexuality. So all that is encompassed within the umbrella of sexology, and with that knowledge, about 90% of the people who study sexology go on to become sex counselors and therapists. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, What's the difference between a psychic and a medium? That's interesting. You know, uh, we think about channels of perception, how we see the world, and when we are not thinking about things that are psychic and mediumistic, we think about our five basic senses, you know, seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, smelling. And when you're working on a psychic or mediumistic capacity, we use the internal channels of perception that correspond to that. So, like, for example, I might see in my mind's eye or hear in my mind's ear. And so both 
uh, approaches require that our channels of perception are tuned in. The big difference being is that if a client comes to me for a psychic reading, I'm reading them using those channels of perception that I've developed. And the other way I could use them is to tune into their loved ones in spirit because it's either you've got a case of somebody's soul who's passed on and no longer has a body or somebody who's still here and also happens to have a body and living. Same skills but different approach. Wow, I know years and years ago, um, a very famous uh, psychic in Washington, D.C. actually saved my life. I went to see her and she told me I Really? Yeah, she said, what you need to do is you must see your doctor. She said, you've been bleeding, this and that, which was true. And she said, and this is what's going to happen. You're going to see the doctor. They're going to put you in for surgery right away. They're going to think you have cancer and you do not. And everything she told me was going to happen actually happened. Then the wow. next time I saw her, she said, you're going to be in 30 days. You're going to, something's going to happen to make you a decision to leave Washington, D.C. and move to California. I thought, well, she might have been right the first time, but there is no way. Well, guess what? <laughs> 30 days later, I was packed and ready to come to California. So, you know, I totally think that some people like you have a great gift. Thank you. It's a cultivated ability, um, much like one might say, you can be an Olympic athlete, but if you don't go and train and work out hard, you never get to develop or use that skill. And I think it's very much the same way with people who are practicing psychic intuitives and mediums. You know, we have this ability, but we got to work for it. You know, it takes discipline. So how did you make the transition from being a sexologist to being a medium, and why did you decide to go that direction? I'll tell you, I came from a family background where I think the choices were doctor, lawyer, and Indian chief. And because we weren't Indian, it was a joke. And, you know, there's, you know you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. That's kind of the background that I had, and maybe a teacher. And, um, you know, with that, I was very academically oriented, and I went from my kindergarten years to my Ph.D. at 30 nonstop. And about five years before I finished my Ph.D., I noticed that my intuitive abilities were getting stronger and I began experimenting with them more and it seemed that the ability to work as a medium had presented itself around the time I was 25, 26 years old. And I fell in love with it from the very moment I experienced it. I did not know that I had that ability whatsoever. It was never on my radar, never on the life plan, never on the game plan. And then... um, I started practicing with my family and my friends, and then when I wore all of them out, you know, I started practicing with complete strangers. And very quickly, I found a mentor, and I found um, schools where you can study this type of thing. And when my accuracy got to a certain level to hang my shingle out, I did, and that was actually very quick, because what I did was I took all that analytical uh, background I had from being trained as a scientist, and I applied it to how I was learning the field of mediumship, and then it just took off from there. Well, so when was what year was that that you decided to? It was go around into ninety-five, it? ninety-six. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, how did your mediumship work grow over time, and where did you start? Uh, well, uh, when I began publicly, I started working at a place called Wild Oats Cafe in San Francisco. I had a break from grad school, and I put an ad online. I said, you know, I think I might have this ability. And I had never really heard of mediums at the time. I had heard of psychics, but not really um, uh, a lot about mediums. And so what people would do is they would respond to the ad. I'd meet with them. We'd have a cup of coffee together. There would be no charge. And every time I got an impression, they would give me constructive feedback, whether it was a hit or a miss. And then just over time, I was really good at pattern recognition. I started um, self-learning 
in this way. And then very early on after that, I, I met a mentor, Dr. Karen Lundegaard. And what was so special about Dr. Lundegaard was that she was a psychologist and a medium. So she, like me, had that academic background, but then also had the metaphysical piece. And so she was the first person I studied with. And then she introduced me to the Spiritualist Church. And after that, I discovered um, the Arthur Finlay College of Psychic Studies in uh, the UK. And why that's important is it's a residential teaching facility of their spiritualist group. They are called the Spiritualist National Union. And you can actually go and you can study in a residential way. So it's, it's truly a college. And a lot of people do things like that along the way. So these are all skills that help me develop you know, as a platform medium and one-on-ones. But there was also just the gradual part of working with one person at a time, working with two people, working with four, working with a small group. And now I get up in front of hundreds regularly. And I find it's um, really exciting and um, not as difficult as you would imagine. Hmm. Do you think nowadays it's a lot easier? I'm sure back in the days where you began, people, you know, it was hard for people to accept it. You know, there were those that believed and those were who were like naysayers, oh, this is, not, you know, not real mm-hmm. and all that. But do you think it's, it's today's world is a lot easier because people have seen success in this? Yeah, I think there's been a tidal shift. And I don't mean that to say that I think that people who are cynics are less cynical, but I do feel that mediumship itself in America has become mainstreamed. We see it all the time on TV. We've got folks like uh, John Edward. We've got folks like uh, Terry the Long, uh, Teresa the Long Island Medium. Excuse me. Um, we've got the show Medium. We have many paranormal shows. So it's not uncommon to recognize intuitive psychic and mediumistic abilities in people in a mainstream kind of way now. And I feel like I'm very, very blessed to be part of this uh, generation of up-and-coming medium psychics and intuitives who um, I think are in a much more um, responsive world. We're we're in a more fertile soil, so to say. Um, And so I definitely feel like it is more accepting uh, in the general public, absolutely. Well, I know the one person that I went to had actually been uh, psychic to the Kennedys, and wow, you know, then that, that's how I was referred to them. But, but to her, but um, her her name was Ann Gaiman, and she's—I I don't know if she's still practicing in D.C., but she yes, very, actually, very she's uh, associated with Lilydale, as am I. Yeah, well, she was pretty wonderful. Um, yeah. What is the Great. most exciting thing about being a medium? Wow. Well. There's a lot of exciting things, but one of the things that's always uh, really really been there for me is that each time you begin to work as a medium, you're working as a real-time language translator to the best of your ability. And the thing is, is that the spirit communicators are going to tell you things that you may not understand whatsoever. And it is your task as a medium not to judge not to um, elaborate on, uh, not to put curly cues on, not to run away with any of that information. You simply give it as you get it. And I think that most of us are trained to think that when we have a thought that comes into our mind, um, we use our left brain to analyze that thought. And in mediumship and psychic work as well, what you learn to do is you learn to put a ridge between that point in your brain. (laughs) I shouldn't, not your brain, your, your your thinking process is what I mean to say. You learn to put a bridge in your thinking process between uh, the way the information comes in from the right brain and your left brain's very uh, desirous ability to come in and jump in and make sense of that to you. And so when you're working as a medium, you have to just keep letting go and letting go and letting go and letting go. And the phrase we use is give as you get. 
because the thing that might be meaningless to me might mean the world to you. And mm-hmm. that's why it's so important to give every specific piece of information exactly as it comes in unadulterated. And that's a challenge every time. Oh, I'm sure. Um, what does your current practice involve? Well, it's a combination of things now. I am delighted uh, to be here and to be doing a lot of radio this year and last year especially. It's a format I love. I think it's edutainment. It works very well. And then I also do a lot of traveling. I think when I look back on 2014 in December, it's going to be uh, what I would think of as my first tour because I'm definitely attending a lot of cities um, and doing work. I did the Afterlife Conference, the Afterlife Awareness Conference in Portland, Oregon uh, this June where I was a medium at large. And then I've been up to Lilydale twice this summer teaching courses for beginners and advanced students of psychic work and mediumship. I've got Sedona in the works this year, Las Vegas in the works again. Um, I work regularly in Manhattan, uh, Philadelphia. So I love traveling, and this year has just been feeling like I've been living out of a suitcase. So <laughs> it's exciting. You know, I do the groups, I do the privates, um, and I love helping people to figure out their own abilities. That, that's a great passion of mine. Hmm. What is a typical private session like? You know, it's very conversational, and I think one of the myths that I want to dispel while I have the opportunity is just to say, you know, it's not dark with candles in silence and, you know, all these images that we have of, of seance practices from the movies. What it is is very much like a consulting session or like a therapy session where you go in and, you know, you might have a couple of chairs or so for that kind of thing. You know, in broad daylight and having a conversation, and what I do is I take my clients through what I call a a session of an arc. In the beginning, I spend a couple of minutes um, helping to assure that they're comfortable and explain the process to them um, in a clear format, help them to understand how I work, and tell them that I'm going to be taking them step through step through the procedure because, you know, it's my goal to not make it come across like magic. I want to have the session also being empowering for people so that they understand how I perceive and perhaps how they might someday perceive as well. And then we do the session in that I will tune in to loved ones in spirit uh, when I work as a medium. And it's like an onion, you know. We start, we get the, the surface information that gets deeper and deeper. We call it that blending with spirit. And relay information that's usually in two forms. We call that evidence and essence. Evidence being things like the names, the dates, and the addresses, and this kind of thing, the geographical information, the health conditions. And then we also want to convey the essence of a loved one's personality and their quirks and their signatures. And then find out what the messages are. You know, why, of all people, is this particular loved one in spirit coming through today at this time? You know, what is it they're trying to communicate from their point of view? Hmm. Um, you're also working on a book, right? Mm-hmm. What is, tell us a little yeah. bit about what the book is going to be about. Well, the original title was called Fast Tech. Fast, <laughs> let me get that out straight. The original title, uh, as it's copyrighted, is Fast Talking Psychic. But that was kind of a play on words because I came from Philadelphia. I live in New York. And I do notice that without attention, I speak very, very quickly in my work. And so it was kind of a joke on the idea of a fast talking psychic. So it's got to be renamed. But other than that, it's giving information about how I got into this work, uh, the very unusual path that you know, I came into it from. And then, of course, I like to do the part where you help educate and empower people about their own spiritual 
intuitive and psychic abilities and what they can do, what they can take home. Uh, so they, you know, really feel like the way to help people understand what I do is for them to own their own abilities to do, you know, a form of it, uh, rather than just being something that, you know, relatively few can do. I just, you know, that's that's part of it, too. There's a lot of how-to involved in that. What are some of the challenges uh, of mediumship? Well, let's see. The first one, like, just briefly uh, hit upon a, a moment ago was the idea that you give as you get. That's one of them. Uh, another one is that, you know, people will come to a mediumship session, and they will be emotional and sometimes that'll create a wall and for a person starting out in mediumship they may feel blocked and so sometimes the session has to directly address that block and, you know you need to ask your client hey you know are there some questions that you want to get out of the way first are you afraid of something happening some people um you know are concerned or the light's going to go on and off am i going to start speaking in tongues you know are they going to be um you know, shocked by the information and so forth. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of uh, talking people through the process. Some people who come in with um, a completely different attitude, you know, they come in as what I would like to say just believers or natural believers, where they do have a skeptical mind, but they've accepted the idea of the afterlife and that the continuity of the personality can continue after what we call the change called death. So, you know, it kind of depends where people are coming from. But as a medium, I think me and uh, my coworkers would agree that each time we do a session, we're still learning. You know, we can't really rest on our laurels each time we learn something and we build it into our practice. Hmm. You, you also, um, I know you mentioned that you have people come to you, but do you also do um, uh, events online and through Skype, don't you? Mm-hmm. And yes, how do those I- appointments work? It, it works just the same. You know, in the beginning of my practice many, many years ago, my mentor explained to me that, you know, everything will work just as well by phone or through other forms of media. And it was kind of hard to believe at first, honestly. I, I was very skeptical myself, and then I saw it working consistently. Consistently. So my closest clients that I've worked with uh, are in Long Island, as far as by the phone or by Skype goes. And then the ones that have been furthest away, I've actually called into them uh, in New Zealand and Australia. So it can literally work while somebody is on the other side of the world, and I believe that's because of the ideas of non-local consciousness, that you know, it's not so much that the spirit is attached to somebody as much as they're in their realm, and I'm contacting that, and I'm acting as, as the translator in a manner of speaking. So mm. it's interesting. It really works uh, quite well, uh, and you can have that audio anywhere. I've also had it work by text messaging very, very really? well on two situations, yeah. One was um, because a person's Skype and phone were inaccessible, but her text messaging was working, and she did want to follow through with a session like that. And I said she was willing to take it as an experimental session. Let's let's do it. And it worked out very well. And another one was a spontaneous session where there was no intention of making a mediumship connection. And as I was speaking with a friend on a text message exchange, um, their father in spirit came through extremely clearly, and I kept a record of that. It was it was extraordinary. Hmm, that's amazing. What are some of your recent events? Well, let's see. In June, I was um, welcomed aboard as an on-site medium at large for the fourth annual Afterlife Conference, which is just amazing. It's, it was in Portland this year. Next year, it's planned for Virginia Beach in June, I believe. And what this is, is it's a conference that brings together uh, mediums, researchers, 
um, Scientologists, uh, people who are dealing with, say, hospice, uh, nurses, uh, philosophers, researchers, scientists. It's everybody who's thinking about what goes on around the death process and in the afterlife and bringing them all together for a conference. And mm. so conference goers were able to hire me to have individual mediumship sessions right there at the conference in an office. And it was amazing. I was I was overbooked, actually, and they welcomed me back for next year. So that was an amazing opportunity, and there was a lot of luminaries there like Raymond Moody and Eben Alexander and Suzanne Northrop, and, you know, the list just goes on and on. So I was, I was in the company of some pretty amazing people, and... Um, that was one thing that happened in June. Let's see, in July, I was up at Lilydale twice in the beginning at the end. I taught a beginner's class. It was great. I wanted to teach a class for skeptics. I called it Psychic Awareness for Skeptics. And it was for people who were complete beginners or completely skeptical. And three hours later, they were able to do some basic readings, which is just incredible. I think a lot of it is just teaching people where to look in their mind and their thought processes and help them to achieve the first beginning sense of self-perception like that. And then I had a class uh, later in the summer called Two-Way Communications and Mediumship. And what that was about was, um, you, may have in, you may have had experience with this, is that when you're in a mediumship session and you're the client, you're usually just receiving information. The medium is receiving information from the loved one in spirit, and they're communicating that very straightforwardly to the client. And sometimes the client will want to ask questions, but often that presents a challenge to the medium because rather than the medium's mind being in a very receptive state, now it's kind of like in a demand position. And so what we did was we explored that phenomena. And it was interesting because once you take people out of that demand situation, some amazing things can happen. And you can get that two-way communication going the problem is, is that we can't conjure a spirit and we can't make a spirit say what we want to hear. So we have to you know, attend these sessions with open minds and hear what's you know, on the table from the point of view of the spirit communicator. So that's some of the stuff I've been doing this year so far. Mm, what's upcoming for uh, the rest of the year and next year? Well, I'll be back at the Afterlife, afterlife Conference uh, next year in 2015. There's quite a few of these events that I'm starting to do regularly now. Uh, later on this year, on the Labor Day weekend, I'm going to be returning to the Community Spiritual Center of Las Vegas at the Family Music Center Theater on Sahara. And we're working on the program for that right now, but it will probably include a demonstration in classes and then the availability to do private readings. Uh, Sedona, Arizona, also same type of thing that's in process right now. There is some work I want to hook back up with in Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, probably in October of this year. And then we've got a multi-medium Manhattan demonstration in process for September 23rd. So that's some some of the work that's on the calendar. Do you ever come out to the California area? Oh, yes. <laughs> I lived there for nearly 13 years. That's where I attended grad school. So I'm looking forward to coming back. Yes, absolutely. Well, you'll have to let us know when you're in our area. What do you love the most about your work? Well, you know, I think of it as almost a midwifery type of situation between two people that love each other. At the end of the day, at the end of every session, that's what it boils down to. You've got somebody here in the living who loves somebody who's passed on. And you've got somebody who's passed on that loves somebody here in the living. 
and I get to make that connection. And it is amazing. And it shows that not only does the continuity of life happen in my belief system, uh, but also that love lives on. And it is just amazing to see this over and over and over again, you know, thousands of readings in about 18 years. Um, I'm never short of the awe of that, you know, and, and every time it's something new. And what spirit communicators can come up with, everything from personal nicknames to where something was hidden to, you know, just facts that there's no way mediums would know, period, is amazing. And every once in a while what I do is I will hire a medium and I will work with them from the client's point of view, which is getting harder because I know a lot of people in my field, so I'm not so anonymous. But, you know, to every once in a while step back into the place of the client and have that experience as well is great. So I would say it's it's all about the love, really. That's that's the end of the that's the that's the deal and end all of this work. It's all about the Have love. you in 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 your whole career of doing something, have you had one thing that stands out in your mind that was really like the aha moment? Because the work came so suddenly and so immediately, it was the very first time I was doing it. But since then, um, there's there's been many, many of, you know, it's like I want to say too many to list, but in a sense of aha, in a sense of, um, I remember the day that I had the experience of kind of waking up to the metaphysical world, and it was so, um, it was so kind of average. I was in JCPenney's, and I was just like selecting blouses, and all of a sudden it just felt like, wait a minute, all this stuff is real. It just kind of that it dawned on me. It wasn't the aha moment of my abilities, but it was maybe the aha moment of my perception of the whole thing. And I, you know what, what happened was I actually got really angry. It's kind of a strange thing, but I actually felt like I had been lied to, not by any person in particular, but by the suppression of it in mainstream culture. And I don't know that somebody who's born today would necessarily have that experience. And certainly many cultures take mediumship for granted. I mean, this is not something that's just, you know, in certain places and um, in certain times. You know, it's it's a worldwide engagement with spirituality that sometimes you have it from the day you're born and sometimes it's something you discover later and some people don't have it at all um, in a sense that they don't have that exposure. But I just remember saying, aha, it does take me back to that, that day and just feeling like, wait a minute, you know, my reality shifted that day. I remember it well. That's cool. Well, let's tell people how they can get in touch with you. So um, I know you're on Skype, you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, you have a website, so let's give them that information. Absolutely, be glad to. Okay, so my name is Dr. Ron Weber, and that is the way to contact me through just about everything. So on Skype, uh, it's Dr. Ron Weber. And I believe that was hacked recently, so I've got to get a new name. It'll probably be Dr. Ron Weber 1. But everything that is alive and current otherwise is drronweber.com. That's my website. Communications in Spirit is also the same website, so you can either get to me by the website, by the name, or by Communications in Spirit. It goes to the exact same pages. On Facebook, um, Dr. Ron Weber Spiritual Medium. So it's Dr. Ron Weber Spiritual Medium. That's a fan page there. 
And by it's, it's, Gmail. it's R-O-M-W-E-B-E-R, R-O-M. right? Right. Thank you so much. Yeah, R-O-M, like CD-ROM, and then Weber with one B. And then uh, email is drromweber at gmail.com. And my office number in New York is 510-496-3496. Again, that's 510-496-3496. We're getting close to the end, so is there some words of wisdom that you would like to leave with our listeners? You know what I'd like to leave is this, is that the advantage of being a medium is that we get an objective perspective. And for the longest time I've maintained that when my own loved ones and spirit come to visit, um, it's very hard for me to accept that because I'm so used to having that objective validity. So I give clients information and they can say pretty much yes or no on the spot to my perceptions. But when it's and when I'm all by myself and I have a loved one that's trying to reach me, it's a lot harder. And I just want to give your listeners uh, an understanding that even for mediums, we know our loved ones in spirit are here as well, but objective and subjective are still a world of difference. So, you know, trust them. Trust the experiences that you get. Trust the signals. Trust the signs. And then if you want the objective perspective, that's when you can, you know, bring in a professional and that can be very validating as well. But at the end of the day, it's a day-to-day love. So, you know, love here, love now, and love them when they've passed on as well. Well, it, it's, been, it's amazing how fast a half an hour goes. But it's been wonderful to have you on the show today, Dr. Ron Weber. Um, I've learned a lot, and um, I think it's wonderful. And when you get to California, and also when you're doing that thing in New York, let me know. We can let some of our... NAFI members know in New York where you're going to be and I want to thank I want to thank you again for being on the show today. It was wonderful oh, thank having you. Thank so you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to work together and to share some information about the kind of work I do. All right. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Bye thank now. Thank you so much. Bye-bye now. <laughs> 